through um, a life without regret. And this is, of course, Ruth's story. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quickly get into uh, the passage uh, here that we've read. And we're in chapter number one, verse number 16. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. And so our first point was that she made a wise choice and that she was faithful to her family. The second thing about that is she had respect for position and for her elders. And then the third thing we said in regards to her wise choice, um, that she had respect for authority. By the way, those things will... those things will help to eliminate a lot of bad choices. And most of our problems in life come from bad decisions. Sometimes we think they're circumstances, but really the truth of the matter is most of our problems in life come from consequences of choices we've made. Um, I was talking to someone recently, and they, they told me, they said, you know, one of the biggest mistakes I made was, you know, when I got saved, and they got saved later in life as an adult, they said, I thought God was automatically going to fix everything in my life. And uh, he's not obligated to do that at all. In fact, God's not obligated to save us. It's of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed because his compassions, they fail not. So we don't deserve that. That's God's goodness. Um, it is the goodness of the Lord that leadeth men to repentance. But nonetheless, and so while God does not, uh, is not obligated to uh, repair every wrong choice we've made, God still wants you to get through it. It's not like he said, well, you're on your own on that one. No, when you got, when you got saved and, and you asked the Lord Jesus Christ to come to your heart and life, he wants to take over, uh, but you've got to be willing to do that. And uh, it doesn't mean that every decision you've ever made is now immediately rectified, but it does mean God's gonna, God, God will see you through. And so we see the first thing that she made was a wise choice. And the second thing we noticed was she had a worker's creed. The Bible talks about how uh, she went into the fields and her hap or her her good uh, uh, fortune, if you will, actually wasn't good fortune. It was the blessing of the Lord was to fall upon uh, the particular field of Boaz. And so we see a worker's creed. We saw that she was daily diligent. And that is uh, uh, we were talking to we were talking to men. I think it was either this week or the last time we met prior to that. And that is do something every day. It's one of the important things about having a list where you can check things off and say, hey, I did this. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, diligence every day. Second, second thing, completing a task every day. Then the third thing, look for areas to serve God and others. There will always be an opportunity f- to serve. Sometimes people say, well, there's nothing I can do. Oh, you're badly mistaken. There's always an opportunity to serve. And it doesn't matter who you are. You might think, uh, well, I, you know, I, I can't do this or I can't do that. Um, I'll tell you one of the things that I appreciated the most, particularly when I was in college and in, in uh, early days after I was called to preach, my grandmother had told me that uh, um, she said, now I'll be praying for you every day. Well, you know, that was great encouragement to me, number one, because I never knew anybody more spiritual than my grandmother was. Every time I, w- every time I was there, my grandmother uh, had the Bible open and uh, um, a little... Uh, notebook you know the spiral bound notebook and she was taking notes and she had um, just copious notes from her years of reading through the bible every bible she had was completely marked up I mean she she had notes here and she'd write little thoughts here and there and so when my grandmother said she was she was praying for me I took that as a great gift and so sometimes we think well 
the thing that I want to do, it's, it's, it's big and it's in the open and it's, it's visible, but that's not always the case. And so if you're looking for areas to serve, there will always be opportunities to serve. And it doesn't matter where it's something as simple as picking up trash or something as big as doing some of the heavy lifting around here or uh, setting up, uh, helping set up the auditorium or if it's uh, uh, buying a $10 gift card to contribute to the youth rally next week. Or it's, are you all cold? Really? Man, I, I, it's freezing. Okay, all right. How many think it feels right? How many too hot? Okay, it's uh, too hot, too cold, just right. It's uh, like the bowls of uh, soup there with Goldilocks. Um, just go ahead and bump it up a couple degrees, and we'll see if it, it makes them happy because, you know, we want them happy. Um, now, let, let me say this. But I, I promise you, and I've said this many times, and that is 90% of the work in a church gets done by 10% of the people. And if you're looking for something to do, if you're looking for an opportunity to serve, I promise you there's always opportunities to serve. And um, uh, so take advantage of that. Um, and certainly, you know, even at an event like tonight, boy, we had a great crowd for Awana. And uh, did you get it? Okay. So that noise you're hearing is actually the fan getting ready to die down, and so it'll stop blowing cold air. Um, but uh, anyhow, so look for areas to serve God and to serve others. Hey, Thursday night, we're going to have, uh, Robert, I think your class is in charge, right, Thursday night, and so they're going to be grilling hot dogs, and so somebody will have to be out there handing out hot dogs, eating hot dogs, whatever, um, to the young people. And uh, then uh, Friday night is pizza, and so that's our class. Our class is taking care of it. So there's always something going on around here, I promise you, and uh, plenty of opportunities. Evan mentioned uh, our outreach, and, and uh, Andy is helping us with designating certain areas and knock on somebody's door, uh, pass out a gospel track, put a door hanger on uh, their door and let them know, uh, let somebody know about the Lord. So a worker's creed. Uh, then here we come to where we are tonight, and that is a willing counselee. And now, of course, this is all because it's alliterated. So um, even if it's not how you would say it, we got a wise choice, a worker's creed, and then the third one, a willing counselee. What does that mean? Somebody who's willing to listen to counsel. You know, a lot of people are willing to listen to counsel, but most people who come to counsel, and this has been my experience in over 30 years, most people have their mind made up before they ever come to counsel. One of the worst things is when somebody says, hey, and, and I'm, I'm not just saying this about my time here at Timberline. I'm saying this, sorry, I did it again. Um, 30 plus years of ministry, most people don't want counsel. Most people want an opinion that agrees with them. There's very few people that seek what you would call biblical counsel. Because biblical counsel is willing to do that, which is, first of all, pleasing and honoring the Lord. Secondly, it follows scriptural truth. But we all, we all know what we want to do. But see, here was a woman who really, she had options. She had opportunities, but she said, I'm going to listen to the person that God has entrusted me to. I'm going to follow the authority that God has given me. And it, by the way, it doesn't mean that any, any person that you ever talk to is going to have all the answers. That's not my point. But my point is, when you make decisions that violate Scripture, you're going to always reap the whirlwind. You're always going to pay the consequences. And so when you and I seek biblical, and by the way, none of us are too big to seek biblical counsel. 
I mean, there's a few people that I that I personally have in in w- what I would call my uh, realm of influence of of guys that I look up to and I call regularly. Some of them I call every week, and I run things by them. And they're all guys that are in ministry and they're older than me. And uh, um, and I ask them, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? Or I got th- this question, um, and I really want to know what they think. And it doesn't have to agree with me. And so you you have to understand that that many times when we say, well, I want to get some counsel. And getting counsel is not going to this one and this one and this one and this one and then finally finding the one who agrees with what you wanted to do all along because that's just finding what, that which is popular. And so uh, what you have to do is kind of remove yourself from the equation and say, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then follow, first of all, scriptural principles. And then secondly, those in a position of influence who have the opportunity to give you some counsel, to give you some wisdom based on the word of God and based on experience. And so that's what uh, Ruth was willing to do. I can't tell you how many times over the years, uh, literally, I couldn't even begin to count them. And I could tell you illustration after illustration after illustration about people who, who came for counsel uh, and not because any, and typically if somebody ever comes to me for any counsel, first thing that I want to do my knee I've got a brace on it so it keeps popping um, the first thing that I want to do is point them to the word of God because you always steer clear of trouble everybody has an opinion but uh, but God's opinion is the only one that really matters some might say well this is what I think about this or this is what I think about that but at the end of the day the only opinion that really matters is the Lord and that's the one that we're going to stand before the Lord for that's the one for which we are going to give an account and so we we find first of all a willing counselee. Now, notice in Ruth chapter number three, if you get your Bibles open, you can follow it on the screen here. We're going to look at these first five verses. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And now is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens thou wast? Behold, he winneth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Watch thyself. By the way, this, this story is very different for our culture. You know, it's kind of like when a man vows a vow and you put his hand under, under another man's thigh. Uh, that, uh, that, that one never makes sense to me. But it's not our, we're, we're not Jews living 4,000 years ago. That culture, it made sense to them. Or casting your shoe uh, before someone. Now, maybe you've had someone throw their shoe at you. Um, but, uh, but typically, so, so as this counsel is being given, it sounds very foreign to you. But all for this. Always remember this, the Bible is a Jewish book. It wasn't written in 20th century uh, North America. So sometimes we look at things in there, we think, well, that that doesn't really make sense. Um, And so you you do have to kind of understand that. But nonetheless, the counsel that she is given is not foreign to her. It's like, like, uh, well, anyway, I don't don't, want to digress there. So verse 3, wash thyself therefore and anoint thee. Put thy raiment upon thee and get thee down to the floor, but make not thyself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. Did you turn the heat on? Did you, did you, did you switch it from AC to heat? Come on. I'm just curious. I, I'm just <laughs> Don't leave. Come on. All right. Okay. So. Verse number two, I just thought it was getting warm. Is it getting warm? But some of you would probably think, oh, it feels great now. Okay, 
Here we go. Verse number four. And it shall be when he lieth down that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie. Now notice this. And by the way, nobody's probably ever going to give you counsel like this. And so it's not like, well, I went to pastor and this is what he said. You're never going to hear this from me. But nonetheless, it is the counsel that she has given. It shall be when he lieth down that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie. Thou shalt go in and uncover his feet and lay thee down and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. Like, get out of my bed, you knucklehead. I don't know. But, <laughs> but nonetheless, so this, this is what she is told. And so, verse number five. Now, this is, this is paramount right here. And she said unto her, all that thou sayest unto me, I will do. Now, you think about the great risk that she's taking. First of all, she has nothing. I mean, really, she has absolutely nothing. But she is simply listening to the one that she is following now. And she's already told her, your people are going to be my people. Wherever you're going, I'm going. And I'll accept it. However, however it works out, however it turns out, it doesn't matter. And by the way, when you trusted Jesus Christ, that was a commitment you made. You, you wanted salvation and deliverance from your sins. You wanted a home in heaven instead of the alternative of hell. All of us did. That's a, that's a great trade-off. Unbelievable deal. But with that came, I'm now a follower of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't mean that everything's going to be smooth sailing. It just means on that day, I committed my soul, I committed my attorney, but I also committed my life to him. And so when that happened, all that thou sayest unto me, I will do. It, I've said this for I, oh, two or three weeks on a Sunday morning. Can you imagine what church would be like if everybody obeyed every impulse of the Holy Spirit? And I'm not talking about somebody who says, well, God told me to do something and it's wacky. That's all I'm talking about. Because it has to be in line with that which is done decently in order in the house of God. But, but still, if people... When, when God said, move, if people were willing to move. In this particular case, you find a willing counselee. It's someone who goes and says, hey, what should I do? And then she says, she puts all, all, that, all that out there. You know what most people's response, particularly in our culture today, what? You want me to do what? Now, by the way, while we may not give counsel that seems so unusual according to our culture, sometimes we get counsel and I, I've, I've had people, I was, I was talking with someone just last week, and, and I told him, I said, well, based on the word of God, this is what God would have you. What? I can't do that. And I told him, I said, well, you're not, uh, you're not resisting anything I've given you. I said, because I'm not telling you what I think you ought to do. In fact, I told him, I said, I understand why you don't want to do it. But I will tell you this, it is based upon scriptural principles. And I always tell people this, when you, when it, whenever they come for counsel, are you willing to do what God says in this matter? Sometimes a uh, married couple will come in and say, hey, can, can, can you help in this particular situation? But my question was always, are you willing to do what God says in this matter? And, and nobody ever says no. Nobody, no, I'm not. <laughs> but then when you throw it out there, sometimes, what? I don't want to do that. I want to make that decision. I don't want to make that commitment. Do I have to do that? And so sometimes there's the pullback. So, and she said in her, all that thou sayest unto me, I will do. And so uh, the, the first thing I want to say under a willing counselee is, number one, seek godly counsel. And sometimes the reason we struggle with that is uh, we, we think, number one, we think we know better. Um, sometimes we, we think, well, but, uh, you know, I'm different or my situation is a little more complex. Whose life isn't? I, you know, we could, we could all say that. Or my situation is different. So we see someone who is willing to seek godly counsel. We, we see here, and I think this is probably 
Uh, I think we could all probably relate to this. I have more understanding than all of my teachers when I testimonies or my meditation. Of course, that is taking this verse a little bit out of context. But if we use only the first part of it, uh, because much of Psalm 119, of course, is dealing with the word of God, thy statutes, testimony, law, and so on and so forth. But many times we feel this way when it comes to those. And, and we become the type of person who cannot be instructed. And it's a, uh, it's that is so weird. We become the type of person who can't be taught. You know, and I, I taught, thank you for all that. <laughs> Little play-by-play play back there from Lori. And we'll be right back. Um, but I had, I've taught for years, 30-plus years. And I've taught it from junior high, high school, college level. And I have had students who've been in class who you couldn't teach. And there are a lot of reasons for it. You know, it's, it's kind of sometimes it's because they're a scorner. The Bible says a scorner heareth not rebuke. And it's, it's somebody who tells them, hey, this is what you need to do. And, you say, and they're just kind of looking at you like you might as well be talking to a wall. And it's not because of anything you're saying. It's just because their heart is already turned against all instruction. And they don't want to hear it. So when the Bible says a scorner heareth not rebuke, it doesn't mean that he doesn't physically hear it. It means he's become resistant to it, and he's reluctant to respond to anything. That's what God says about a scorner. And so um, we find here that she was willing, a willing counselee, and the first reason we notice that is because she sought godly counsel. And seeking godly counsel is so different than seeking popular opinion. I can tell you this. I don't care what your, what your problem ever is in life. You can always find someone who will agree with you. D- it doesn't matter. Now, it may not, be so, may not always be someone who is a godly counselor or someone who has given you scriptural advice, but you will always be able to find someone who will agree with you. One of the biggest reasons is because most people will go to their allies. They'll go to somebody who has a persuasion that is bent towards them. And, uh, well, you feel this way or you feel that way. You know, it's kind of like this. We, we say, I want to go to a doctor because I want to I get an objective opinion. Somebody who is, who, you know, doesn't have any necessarily any skin in the game. And so they're going to tell me, hey, this is what you need to do. And this is my suggestion. And this is my advice. But you're welcome to get another opinion. And so you do. And sometimes if it's something real serious, real critical, you will. You'll go see another doctor. And you'll find out about this. You'll find out about that. But at the end of the day, you, you've got to make a choice. Do I want to follow this counsel? And so when it comes to, to our lives and it comes to our habits and it comes to our custom and it comes to our family and our finances and our marriages and all those complexities in life, we have to make a choice. Do I want to submit to the word of God and do I want to submit to those that God puts in a position of influence in my life? And everybody has to have those, including me. Everybody has to have somebody that they can go to who is willing to cut to the chase. And not tell you exactly what you want to hear. You know, I, I use the illustration often. It's, it's like the doctor who told Tony and me in so many words, and he didn't say it this bluntly, but he basically said she's not going to survive. I mean, he, 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 you know, and he said, my recommendation at this point with her being at stage four and the tumor being inoperable, my recommendation is that you put her into a clinical trial so that at least her testing can benefit other children. Well, when you hear that, 
I mean, that's a blow. But as soon as he said that, and he, w- he gave us all these books and forms and all this kind of stuff, but another, another lady stuck around. Sorry about that. Another lady stuck around, and she told us, basically, she said, don't give up. She said, I know what he said. And she said, but don't you give up. And so we went through the regular protocol, and you all know the story. The rest is history. Rebecca's a sophomore in college. But many times we, when we are seeking counsel, we put ourselves in a position where we're not willing to follow. And so you've got to have somebody that you're willing to tell you the hard truth. Now, I, I'll say this. That doctor's name was Palumbo. I'll never forget him. He was the head of pediatric oncology at, at one of the largest children's hospitals in the country. He was highly respected, uh, studied, and taught abroad. I mean, the guy was brilliant. But to this day, if I ever bring up that doctor's name, my wife didn't care for him. And my wife would say this about him. He had a horrible bedside manner. And he did. But I always said this about it. I said, but honey, I said, he never mixed words. I said, even when we didn't want to hear it, he told us the good and the bad. And he, and he wasn't afraid to say it. Now, at that, po- at that point, you know, after we're passed through and, you know, everything's looking much better, well, yeah, I guess you're right. Now, I'm not saying he was great that first time we had him, but I will say this. He didn't mind telling you. He wanted you to know. Well, you know, it's, it's kind of like church. You know, sometimes people say, well, in fact, um, I think you and I were talking recently. Uh, the, um, the number one reason why people choose a church is the pastor. Some kind of study about visit, 97%. 97% of, of people who come back after visiting a church or something like that because of the, because of the preaching. Well, one thing you always, boy, be my, ho- my hope, my heart, my prayer, that every time you come to Timberline Baptist Church, you're going to get something that is scriptural, something that is biblical, and it's not going to drift from that. Because if it ever does, then you need to tell me to pack up and leave. Because if I'm just going to tell you what you want to hear, then you, you're not in church anymore. You're at some kind of a fellowship hall. You're at a club. And that's not what church is supposed to be. Church is supposed to be you hearing what the Lord has to say about all of us, myself included. And it's not always what you want to hear. But it is sometimes what you need, whether you want to hear it or not. And so we, to, to do that, we've got to be a willing counselee who, first of all, is seeking godly counsel. I've got to hustle through this. Then secondly, and here, here's, here's a real big one, and that is you're willing to follow it. Because sometimes when you get that counsel, you become resistant to it, or you, you try to work around it, and so you have to be willing to follow counsel. And then I'm going to give you a couple other subpoints under this one. Then the third thing, resist the temptation to do that, which is popular. How does that happen? Here's looking at each one of these things, a willing counselee. Number one, seek godly counsel. Number two, follow godly counsel. Number three, resist the temptation to do that which is popular. And in our culture, we are bent and geared and pushed and driven to what is, first of all, easy, and what is, secondly, what is popular. Because we don't want to go outside the norm. Why? Because we fear acceptance. We all do. Everybody wants to be accepted. I don't care who you are. You say, no, I don't care. Ah, Yeah, you do. We want to be accepted. We want to fit in. And we want to... Uh, you know, we want we want people to, to not uh, belittle or demean. We, we, we just want to find our niche. And so sometimes we'll base our decisions or our decision-making process on what is popular. 
how, does, how, do, how do we go against this? I'll tell you one of the biggest ways is we think we're the exception. And it doesn't matter what our problem is. We think that, I, I realize how this has worked out for most people, but I'm going to be the exception. And every one of us can probably tell of a story or an illustration in our life where we blew it, made a bad decision, and we thought it was going to turn out, and really, it didn't. It turned out just like we knew it would, but we thought it was going to be okay. And I, I can tell you about things in my own personal life where you think, well, this is going to be okay. No, it's not. Because anytime you go against that which is right, you're always going to pay the consequences for it. Remember, God doesn't just automatically say, I'm going to sweep over everything. Now, he gives you a new slate in terms of your life as a child of God. You've got a clean slate. Your sins are forgiven and forgotten. Don't, don't misunderstand that. But every, every bad decision that we've made or that has gone against good, godly, biblical counsel, we still got to reap the consequences of those choices. And so um, what do we do? We think we're the exception. I think I told this story. I, I know I did at the youth rally when we were over in, uh, where was it? Sheridan. Can you hear me? Okay. Maybe, maybe it's this leg. Keep this one up. But I told a story about a book that I, that I had read uh, I think it was the third or fourth book I've written about that 1996 disaster on Everest. Bless you. Again. Are you good? Okay. Here's another one just in case. Bless you. <laughs> so it's 1996, and Lou Koscheki was on that, on that expedition. And Lou, were they, were they set in the tent the night before, and it's midnight. They're getting ready to leave the tent. They left the tent at midnight, and their hope was to 12 hours up, 6 hours back. And you've heard me tell a lot about this, and so I won't, I won't belabor the point. Though it's fascinating to me every time I study those stories. 12 hours up, 6 hours back. 12 hours to go 1 mile. Of course, keep it in mind that it's about 60% vertical. And so the grade is just unbelievable. But nonetheless, so 12 hours to go 1 mile in all those hostile conditions. But at midnight, before they leave the tent, will you turn around by 2 p.m.? If you're not there by 2 p.m., yes, I will. Yes, I will. Yes, I will. And he went to everybody in the tent, and they all said yes, including Rob Hall, who was the leader of the expedition. So they all knew at 2 p.m. So here's Lou Koscheki, Lou Koscheki, who was from the UP of Michigan. And at 2 p.m., he looks down, and of course, he's, he's moving a step, and he's waiting three minutes to try to get his breath going. He said it was taking three minutes between a step. So it's unbelievable. But he said at 2 p.m., he said he dropped to his knees, and he took his ice pick, and he plunged it into the ice pack. And he said he heard the voice of his wife, and his wife told him, she said, come back to tell your story. In other words, don't let somebody tell your story for you. Come back to tell your story. And so he said he heard, he said it was like she was right there. He heard her say, come back to tell your story, 2 p.m. And the guy puts his hand, his name's Doug Hansen. He puts his hand on his shoulder. He's behind him. And they're climbing up the South Cole. And he says, what are you doing? He said, I'm turning around. And he pats him on the shoulder, and he said, that's probably a good call. Everybody above him, including Doug Hansen, who kept going, died. Every single one of them. Doug Hansen is still up there on the summit 23 years later. Why? I'm going to make it, and I'm going to get back. Not a one of those guys in front of him. There were 12. Not a one of those guys taking those steps thought, you know what? It's a great day to die. Every one of them thought it's going to be the most unbelievable thing, the height of my life. I'm only 300 yards, 300 yards 
to the top of that stomach. Yeah, but you're supposed to turn around. He turns around, makes it back down, barely survives as the blizzard hits in. He's in a, he's in a, uh, he's in a tent, and tents are being swept off the side of the face. It's unbelievable, that, that blizzard that swept through there. But he survived. Why? Because he didn't think he was the exception. You know, most people who blow it, blow it thinking they're exceptional. Because you, you realize there's not a one of us in here that don't know much truth about the Bible. We all do. And you can hear it, and you can hear it preached, and you can hear an illustration, you can hear a story. And you hear a story like that and say, wow, that's powerful, that's gripping, that's, that's, that's awesome, that, you know, and all that. But at the end of the day, we still think we're the exception. It doesn't matter how many times you can have that painted in your life. We think we are the exception. Then the second thing is we, we think not only are we the exception, second thing is we think we, I know better. That's why we use the passage of Scripture there in Psalm 119. I have more knowledge than all my teachers. And so sometimes you'll, I can still remember having students that sometimes when they, when they would look at me, and it was kind of like, yeah, teach me something. And believe it or not, sometimes in church you have people sitting there who are like, yeah, preach me something. And, you know, you want to look at them and go, you know. <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, because it, it's like, go ahead, bless me. Try. I dare you. You know, but you don't ever want to you don't ever want to be that have that type of approach or response or attitudes towards the things of God. You've got to be a willing counselee. And then uh, I think I'm the exception. I think I know better. And then finally, we think whatever choice we make will ultimately be worth it, even if it's the wrong choice. Sometimes people will say the. Uh, the pleasure is worth the pain. And when it comes to bad choices, that's not true. It never is. It never is. Now, sometimes we talk about exercising, working out, we hear the expression, no pain, no gain. And I understand that. And, uh, and, and that makes sense in that regard. But that's just discipline. But when it comes to making choices and decisions in your life, don't ever take the approach. Yeah, I realize this is probably not the best call, but it'll probably be worth it. It's like when Jesus is, when, when Pilate gives them the choice of Christ or Barabbas, and they say Barabbas, but they don't just say that. They say his blood be upon us and our children. Sounds good. Because they think they're doing right. I mean, they've already painted him up as some scoundrel, Jesus Christ, the son of God, God robed in a garment of flesh. So, in fact, we're so emphatic, we're so right about it. His blood be upon us and our children. Truer words were never spoken because it did rest upon them and all of us. But when they made that statement, they thought for sure, this decision is going to be worth it in the long run. And when we make a decision that is contrary to the word of God and it violates scriptural principle, rest assured, it's never going to be worth it. It's it's. It's always right to do right, plain and simple. So we find uh, Ruth with her life. We see that she was a willing counselee, had a worker's creed, and then first of all, made a wise choice. And so I only have 27 points. Actually, it's a short chapter, so I can't have that many. Besides, it's tough alliterating that many. So we'll, we'll try to tackle these next couple points. Not next week, because next week, uh, I hope you'll come. And I, I realize you say, oh, it's youth rally, a b- bunch of teens. 
hey, listen, number one, we're going to need some help. Uh, but I promise you, if you've never been, it's a lot of fun. You'll enjoy it. And we will still have Awana, okay? So if you're bringing your children to Awana, stick around. And uh, we will feed the young people after the service. And so there will be hot dog chips and uh, Otis Spunkmeyer chocolate chip cookies. Hallelujah. And uh, can I get a witness? And so those will be there. And all of the young people for Awana will also get one. So we'll, we'll have plenty. So you, you'll, you'll enjoy all of that. So anyhow, thank you for listening. And uh, thank you for your faithfulness. Let's pray. Lord, we ask for your help and your favor. I pray, pray Lord, that you'd bless this weekend. Uh, we think, as Evan mentioned, our outreach and the ladies and their trip, give them safety and favor. And I pray, Lord, you'd be good to us now on Sunday and uh, give us wisdom and direction.